This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The January 6th committee over last weekend announced a special hearing set for Tuesday. Now, all of the members of Congress are already home for the 4th of July recess for the break, for the holiday. And so it was extraordinary that the committee would call this special hearing, seemingly an emergency hearing, so to speak. No one knew what it was for. No one knew, in fact, who the surprise witness would be. But then we found out that it would be Cassidy Hutchinson. Now, in hearing number five last week, we saw some of her previously recorded testimony before the January 6th hearing where she listed the members of Congress that had asked for pardons as if that were not compelling enough. But Tuesday, Cassidy Hutchinson, and again, she is a former aide to Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, a 25-year-old young woman with great courage, came to testify before the committee. We learned that she has been receiving threats and that's all we knew. But once she testified Her testimony was probably some of the most dramatic we've heard since the January 6th hearings started. First of all, when did the president 
<laughs> know it. Kind of that old Nixon phrase. When was the decision made? How far in advance was it considered that something would happen at the Capitol January 6th? Mr. Chairman, we uh, will begin today with an exchange that first provided Ms. Hutchinson a tangible sense of the ongoing planning for the events of January 6th. On January 2nd, four days before the attack on our Capitol, President Trump's lead lawyer, Mr. Giuliani, was meeting with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and others. Ms. Hutchinson, do you remember Mr. Giuliani meeting with Mr. Meadows on January 2nd, 2021? I do. He met with Mr. Meadows in the evening of January 2nd, 2021. And we understand that you walked Mr. Giuliani out of the White House that night, um, and he talked to you about January 6th. What do you remember him saying? As Mr. Giuliani and I were walking to his vehicles that evening, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's going to be a great day. I remember looking at him and saying, Rudy, you explain what's what's happening on the six? Uh, he, he had responded something to the effect of, "We're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. He's he's going to be with the members. He's going to be with the senators. Talk to the chief about it. Talk to the chief about it. He knows about it." And did you go back uh, then up to the West Wing and tell Mr. Meadows about your conversation with Mr. Giuliani? I did. After Mr. Giuliani had left the campus that evening, I went back up to our office and I found Mr. Meadows in his office on the couch. He was scrolling through his phone. I remember leaning against the doorway and saying, I had an interesting conversation with Rudy, Mark. It sounds like we're going to go to the Capitol. He didn't look up from his phone and said something to the effect of, there's a lot going on, Cass, but I don't know. Things might get real, real bad on January 6th. This questions, this brings into question the spontaneity of January 6th. It's all the representations have been that January 6th was just something that, that happened, that evolved. But this is as early as January 2nd. Now, there were other officials in government who were raising questions about the whole approach to this stop the steal strategy that Trump was implementing. And Cassidy Hutchinson had raised what these other officials were saying in earlier depositions before the January 6th committee. As you will see on this clip, Director Ratcliffe's comments in December of 2020 were prescient. My understanding was Mr. Rat Director Ratcliffe didn't want much to do with the post-election period. Director Ratcliffe felt that it wasn't something that the White House should be pursuing. It felt it was dangerous for the president's legacy. He had expressed to me that he was concerned that it could spiral out of control and potentially be dangerous, either in, for our democracy or the way that things were going for the six. When you say it wasn't something the White House should be pursuing, what's the it? 
trying to fight the results of the election, fighting missing ballots, pressuring filing lawsuits in certain states where there didn't seem to be significant evidence and reaching out to state legislatures about that. So pretty much the way that the White House is handling the post-election period, he felt that there could be dangerous repercussions in terms of precedent set for elections, for our democracy, for the six. You know, he was hoping that we would concede. These were the concerns of the Director of National Intelligence, John Radcliffe. And by the way, the voice, the voice you're hearing leading the questioning, of course, is Republican Liz Cheney. There were also concerns raised by the National Security Advisor, which Cassidy Hutchinson also mentioned in her earlier Deposition. Ms. Hutchinson, I want to play you a clip of one of our meetings when you described a call on January 4th that you received from National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien on the same topic, potential violence on January 6th. I received a call from Robert O'Brien, the National Security Advisor. He had asked if he could speak with Mr. Meadows about potential violent words of violence that he was hearing that were potentially going to happen on the Hill on January 6th. I had asked if he had connected with Tony Ornato because Tony Ornato had a conversation with him, with Mark about that topic. Robert had said, I'll, I'll talk to Tony. And then um, you know, I don't know if Robert ever connected with Mark about the issue. Her testimony about the National Security Advisor. Now, we also heard Tuesday about armed insurrectionists near the Ellipse. The Ellipse was where the rally took place that we all watched on television. That's at 16th and Constitution. That's practically the South Lawn of the White House. Trump's speech were screened so they could attend the rally at the Ellipse. They had weapons and other items that were confiscated. Pepper spray, knives, brass knuckles, tasers, body armor, gas masks, batons, blunt weapons. And those were just from the people who chose to go through the security for the president's event on the ellipse. Not the several thousand members of the crowd who refused to go through the mags and watched from the lawn near the Washington Monument. The select committee has learned about reports from outside the magnetometers and has obtained police radio transmissions identifying individuals with firearms, including AR-15s, near the ellipse on the morning of January 6th. Let's listen. There's an individual in a tree, maybe a white male, about six feet tall, thin build, brown cowboy boots. He's got blue jeans and a blue jean jacket, and underneath the blue jean jacket, the complainants both saw a stock of an AR-15. He's going to be with a group of individuals, about five to eight, five to, uh, eight other individuals. Two of the individuals in that group at the base of the tree, near the port of potties were wearing green fatigues, green olive draft style fatigues, about five, eight, five, nine, skinny, uh, skinny white males, brown cowboy boots, 
They had Glock style pistols in their waistband. 8736 with the message that subject um, weapon on his right hip. Roger that, he's in the tree. Motor 1, make sure PPD knows they have an elevated threat in the tree south side of Constitution Avenue. Look for the don't tread on me flag, American flag face mask, cowboy boots, weapon on the right, right side hip. We got three men walking down the street in fatigue carrying AR-15, copy at Fort Seaver Independent. These were transmissions from the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. People had AR-15s, y'all, on January 6th in proximity at the White House. More from Hutchinson's deposition before Tuesday. You mentioned that um, some of the weapons that people had at the rally included flagpoles, oversized um, sticks or flagpoles, um, bear spray. Is there anything else that you recall hearing about that um, the people who would gather on the ellipse had? I recall Tony and I having a conversation with Mark probably around 10 a.m., 10.15 a.m., where I remember Tony mentioning knives, guns in the form of pistols and rifles, um, bear spray, body armor, spears, and flagpoles. Spears were one item, flagpoles were one item, and then Tony had relayed to me something to the effect of, and these effing people are fastening spears onto the ends of flagpoles. Spears, too. Not just AR-15s, but spears were also in in play. Now, you also hear Miss Hutchinson speak of Anthony Ornato, Tony Ornato. He was a senior, and I think still is, Secret Service official. His name is going to be coming up throughout her testimony. She also said that Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, of course, for whom she was working, didn't seem very concerned about the presence of weapons on January 6th. Testimony regarding Mr. Meadows' response to learning that the rally attendees were armed that day. What was Mark's reaction, Mr. Meadows' reaction to this list of weapons that people had in the crowd? When Tony and I went in to talk to Mark that morning, Mark was sitting on his couch and on his phone, which was something typical. And I remember Tony just got right into it. I was like, sorry, I just want to let you know and informed him, like, this is how many people we have outside the mags right now. These are the weapons that we're known to have. It's possible he listed more weapons off that I just don't recall. Um, and gave him a brief but and concise explanation, but also fairly fairly thorough. And I remember distinctly Mark not looking up from his phone. And I, I remember Tony finishing his explanation and it taking a few seconds for Mark to say something to the point where I almost said, Mark, did you hear him? Um, and then Mark chimed in and was like, all right, anything else? Still looking down at his phone. And 
Tony looked at me and I looked at Tony and he, Tony said, no sir, do you have any questions? He's like, what are you hearing? And I looked at Tony and I was like, sir, he just told you about what was happening down at the rallies. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then he looked up and said, have you talked to the president? And Tony said, yes, sir, he's aware too. He said, all right, good. He asked. So <laughs> that was Mark Meadows' reaction to the news of the weapons. Tony, if Tony had informed the president. Yes. And Tony said, yes, he had. Now, he claims to have informed the president, but Hutchinson also testified that there, there was really no action on any of the concerns of violence. So, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that Mr. Ornato told the president about weapons at the rally on the morning of January 6th? That's what Mr. Ornato relayed to me. And here's how you characterize Mr. Meadows' general response when people raised concerns about what could happen on January 6th. So at the time in the days leading up to the 6th, there were lots of public reports about how things might go bad on the 6th, even the potential for violence. If I'm hearing you correctly, what stands out to you is that Mr. Meadows did not share those concerns, or at least did not act on those concerns? Did not act on those concerns would be accurate but other people raise them to to him like in this exchange you mentioned that mr arnado pulled him aside that's correct did not act on those concerns okay meanwhile the nut job president is tripping because he's concerned about the size of his crowd and he didn't care whether they had weapons Yes. And the text messages also stress that President Trump kept mentioning the OTR, an off-the-record movement. We're going to come back and ask you about that in a minute. But could you tell us, first of all, who it is in the text who was furious? The he in that text that I was referring to was the president. And uh, why was he furious, Ms. Hutchinson? He was furious because he wanted the arena that we had on the ellipse to be maxed out at capacity for uh, all attendees. Now, to be clear, he, he, the text she sent said that he was effing furious. The advance team had relayed to him that the mags were free-flowing. Everybody who wanted to come in had already come in, but he still was angry about the extra space and wanted more people to come in. And did you go to the rally in the presidential motorcade? I, I was there, yes, in the motorcade. And were you backstage uh, with the president and other members of his staff and family? I was. And you told us, Ms. Hutchinson, about particular comments that you heard while you were in the tent area. When we were in the offstage announce area tent behind the stage, he was very concerned about the shot, meaning the photograph that we would get because the rally space wasn't full. Um, one of the reasons, which I previously stated, was because he wanted it to be full and for people to not feel excluded because they'd come far to watch him at the rally. Um, and he felt the mags were at fault for not letting everybody in. But another leading reason, and likely the 
primary reason is because he wanted it full and he was angry at that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons, what the Secret Service deemed as weapons and our, our weapons. But when we were in the offstage announced tent, I was part of a conversation. I was in the I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing mags away. Now, wait a minute. I don't care if they have weapons. Take the effing mags away. They can march to the Capitol. That's key. The President of the United States is acknowledging, according to this witness, Cassidy Hutchinson, he is acknowledging that people are armed. He says he does not care and that they can go to the Capitol. Just to be clear, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that the President wanted to take the mags away and said that the armed individuals were not there to hurt him? That's a fair assessment. The issue wasn't with the amount of space available in the official rally area uh, only, but instead that people did not want to have to go through the mags. Let's listen to a portion of what you told us about that. In this particular instance, it wasn't the capacity of our space, it was the mags and the people that didn't want to come through. And that's what Tony had been trying to relay to him that morning. You know, it's not the issues that we encountered on the campaign, we have enough space, sir. They don't want to come in right now. They they have weapons that they don't want confiscated by the Secret Service, and they're fine on the mall. They can see you on the mall, and they're, they want to march straight to the Capitol from the mall. The president apparently wanted all attendees inside the official rally space and repeatedly said, quote, they're not here to hurt me. And, and just to, to be clear, so, um, he was told again in that conversation, or was he told again in that conversation that people couldn't come through the mags because they had weapons? Correct. And um, that people, and he, his response was to say they can march to the Capitol from, in, from the ellipse. Something to the effect of take the effing mags away, they're not here to hurt me, let them in, let my people in. They can march to the Capitol after the rally's over. They can march from they can march from the ellipse. Take the effing mags away. Then they can march to the Capitol. The President of the United States, fully aware that people are armed. Now you listen now. The people who are armed don't want to go through the mags because they don't want to get caught. They want to keep. So they have a plan. Trump is even undermining the people who are armed. Uh, undermining their plan because they don't want to come through the mags. They want to keep those arms so they can go to the Capitol. He wants them to come to the ellipse and be with him. They already know what they're going to do. More on the chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And when you finally were able to give Mr. Meadows the information um, about the violence at the Capitol, what was his reaction? He almost had a lack of reaction. I remember him saying, all right, something to the effect of how much longer is, does the president have left in his speech? And when you... He, he, was, he was all in, Meadows. He didn't even react. 
to what was going on. And what about the White House attorneys, the lawyers in the White House? One other question at this point, Ms. Hutchinson. Were you aware of concerns that White House counsel Pat Cipollone or Eric Hirschman had about the language President Trump used in his ellipse speech? There were many discussions the morning of the 6th about the rhetoric of the speech that day. In my conversations with Mr. Hirschman, he had relayed that we would be foolish to include language that had been included at the president's request, which headlines along to the effect of fight for Trump, we're going to march the Capitol, I'll be there with you, fight for me, fight for what we're doing, fight for the movement, um, things about the vice president at the time too. Both Mr. Hirschman and White House Counsel's Office were urging the speechwriters to not include that language for legal concerns and also for the op optics of what it could portray the president wanting to do that day. And we just heard the president say that he would be with his supporters as they marched to the Capitol. Even though uh, he did not end up going, he certainly wanted to. Um, some have questioned whether President Trump genuinely planned to come here to the Capitol on January 6th. In his book, Mark Meadows falsely wrote that after President Trump gave his speech on January 6th, he told Mr. Meadows that he was, quote, speaking, meta speaking metaphorically about the walk to the Capitol. As you will see, Donald Trump was not speaking metaphorically. As we heard earlier, Rudy Giuliani told Ms. Hutchinson that Mr. Trump plans to travel to the Capitol on January 6th. And now Giuliani, remember, we played that clip earlier, said that as early as January 2nd. So when Liz Cheney raised that issue about Trump and, and well, Meadows falsely claiming he, did, he, he wasn't going and didn't want to go. He always planned to go. More from Hutchinson on the position of White House lawyers. Hutchinson, did you have any conversations with Pat Cipollone about his concerns about the president going to the Capitol on January 6th? On January 3rd, Mr. Cipollone had approached me knowing that Mark had raised the prospect of going up to the Capitol on January 6th. Mr. Cipollone and I had a brief private conversation where he said to me, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen. This would be a legally a, a terrible idea for us. We're, we have serious legal concerns if we go up to the Capitol that day. And he then urged me to continue relaying that to Mr. Meadows because it's my understanding that Mr. Cipollone thought that Mr. Meadows was indeed pushing this along with the president. And we understand, Ms. Hutchinson, that you also spoke to Mr. Cipollone on the morning of the 6th as you were about to go to the rally on the ellipse. And Mr. Cipollone said something to you like, make sure the movement to the Capitol does not happen. Is that correct? That's correct. I saw Mr. Cipollone right before I walked out onto West Exec that morning. and. Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if we make that movement happen. And do you remember which crimes 
Mr. Cipollone was concerned with? In the days leading up to the six, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or defrauding the electoral count. These were the concerns raised by White House counsel Pat Cipollone. There was also evidence of other White House officials corroborating the fact that Trump always planned to march along with his supporters to the Capitol January 6th. In fact, in the days before January 6th and on January 6th itself, President Trump expressed to multiple White House aides that he wanted to go to the Capitol after his speech. Here's what various White House aides have told the committee about the president's desire to go to the Capitol. Did the president tell you this, that he wanted to speak at the Capitol? Correct, yes. That, that's, this is Nick Luna. Um, former assistant to the president. During the meeting in the dining room, did the, the idea of the president um, proceeding or walking to the Capitol on the 6th after his speech come up? Walking to the Capitol? No. That's Max Miller, former White House aide. Driving to the Capitol? It came up. Okay, how did it come up and what was discussed? You brought it up. You said, I want to go down to the Capitol. What about him marching to the Capitol on the 6th? Um, yes. Tell us about that. So... Nick Luna again. This is kind of a general thing. I mean, to get into the specifics of it, I, I was aware of a desire of the president to potentially uh, march to the... Uh, or, or accompany the um, rally attendees to the Capitol. When did you first hear about this idea of the president accompanying rally attendees to the Capitol on the 6th? Well, this was at the 6th. This was during the, um, after he finished his remarks. When the president said that he would be going to the Capitol during his speech on the ellipse, the Secret Service scrambled to find a way for him to go. We know this from witnesses and the Secret Service, also from messages among staff on the president's National Security Council. The NSC staff were monitoring the situation in real time, and you can see how the situation evolved in the following chat log that the committee has obtained. As you can see, NSC staff believed that Mogul, the president, was, quote, going to the Capitol, and, quote, they are finding the best route now. That, the, that's the chat log. This was as early as, early as 1129. AM. This is the National Security Council chat log. I'm sorry, 1229. 12:29. Mogul's going to the Capitol. 12:30. They are finding the best route now. 12:32. Military aid has confirmed that he wants to walk. 12:32. They are begging him to reconsider. 12:46. Current route will be 15th to F, F to 6, 6 to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania to the Capitol. 1247. So this is happening. 1257. Capitol Police are reporting multiple breaches in their anti-scaling fence. And it goes on and on. It is a mess. One o'clock. Capitol is now calling for all available to respond. One o'clock p.m. They have taken over the 
stage over there. 106 p.m. About to use non-lethal force at the Capitol. 114 p.m. Mogul heading to motorcade. So this is happening. He's still on his way up there. And then finally at 117, looks like he is coming home for now. 120, mogul in oval. Now, where was uh, our friend, the leader of the opposition party, the GOP, the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy? Where was he in all this? When Republican leader Kevin McCarthy heard the president say he was going to the Capitol, he called you, Ms. Hutchinson. Isn't that right? That's correct. And in this text message, you told Tony Ornato, quote, McCarthy just called me too. And do you guys think you're coming to my office? Tell us about the call that day with Leader McCarthy during the president's speech on the ellipse. I was still in the tent behind the stage. And when you're behind the stage, you, you can't really hear what's going on in front of you. So when Mr. McCarthy called me with this information, he, I answered the call and he sounded rushed, but also frustrated and angry at me. And I, I was confused because I, I didn't know what the president had just said. Um, he then explained, the president just said he's marching to the Capitol. You told me this whole week, you aren't coming up here. Why would you lie to me? I said, I'm, I'm not lying. I, I wasn't lying to you, sir. I, we're not going to the Capitol. And he said, well, he just said it on stage, Cassidy. Figure it out. Don't come up here. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll run the traps on this and I'll, I'll shoot you a text. I, I can assure you we're not coming up to the Capitol. We've already made that decision. He pressed a little bit more, believing me, but I think frustrated that the president had said that. And we ended the phone conversation after that. I called Mr. Ornato to reconfirm that we weren't going to the Capitol, and which is also in our text messages. I sent Mr. McCarthy another text telling him the affirmative that we were not going up to the Capitol, and he didn't respond after that. When so McCarthy didn't want them to come. You think y'all coming to see me? McCarthy didn't even want it. Remember, at the beginning, McCarthy was even making statements against the insurrection. Then he went down to Mar-a-Lago later and something else happened. What did Trump have planned if he actually did arrive at the Capitol? Dan, Ms. Hutchinson, that the plans for the president to come up to the Capitol um, had included discussions at some point about uh, what the president would do when he came up to the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, let's look at a clip of one of your interviews discussing that issue with the committee. When you were talking about a scheduled movement, did um, anyone say what the president wanted to do when he got here? No. Not that I can specifically remember. I remember, I remember hearing a few different ideas discussed with between the Mark and Scott Perry, Mark and Rudy Giuliani. I don't know which conversations were elevated to the president. I don't know what he personally wanted to do when he went up to the Capitol that day. Um, you know, I, I know that there were discussions about him having another speech outside of the Capitol before going in, 
I know that there is a conversation about him going into the house chamber at one point. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Just totally insane. Now, this is what you're about to hear now is probably the biggest bombshell of the Cassidy Hutchinson testimony. Donald Trump engaged in a physical altercation with the Secret Service to force them to take him to the U.S. Capitol January 6th. Ms. Hutchinson, when you returned to the White House in the motorcade after the president's speech, where did you go? When I returned to the White House, I walked upstairs towards the chief of staff's office, and I noticed Mr. Renato lingering outside of the office. Once we had made eye contact, he quickly waved me to go into his office, which was just across the hall from mine. Now again, Tony Renato is a senior Secret Service official. When I went in, he shut the door, and I noticed Bobby Angle, who is the head of Mr. Trump's security detail, sitting in a chair, just looking somewhat discombobulated and a little lost. Um, and I, I looked at Tony and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the Beast? I said, no, Tony, I, I just got back. Now again, the Beast is the vehicle that the president rides in. We, a lot of us learned that when Obama was president because we didn't know it had a name. It's called the Beast, that's the vehicle. What happened? Tony proceeded to tell me that when the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen, but that Bobby had more information. So once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol, and when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing, the president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, now, now, Bobby is, is also Secret Service, Bobby Engel. He's, he's the, the head of the detail that day. Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. He, he, he lunged at a Secret Service agent. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles.
And was Mr. Engel in the room as Mr. Ornato told you this story? He was. Did Mr. Engel correct or disagree with any part of the story for Mr. Ornato? Mr. Engel did not correct or disagree with any part of the story. Did Mr. Engel or Mr. Ornato ever after that tell you that what Mr. Ornato had just said was untrue? N neither Mr. Ornato nor Mr. Engel told me ever that it was untrue. And despite this altercation, this physical altercation, uh, during the ride back to the White House, President Trump still demanded to go to the Capitol. Here's the president. Uh, <laughs> uh, lastly, Trump had another meltdown at the White House. The physical altercation that Ms. Hutchinson described in the presidential vehicle was not the first time that the president had become very angry about issues relating to the election. On December 1, 2020, Attorney General Barr said in an interview that the Department of Justice had not found evidence of widespread election fraud sufficient to change the outcome of the election. Ms. Hutchinson, how did the president react to hearing that news? Around the time that I understand the AP article went live, I remember hearing noise coming from down the hallway, so I poked my head out of the office, and I saw the valet walking towards our office. He had said, get the chief down to the dining room, the president wants him. So Mark went down to the dining room, and came back to the office a few minutes later. After Mark had returned, I left the office and went down to the dining room, and I noticed that the door was propped open and the valet was inside the dining room changing the tablecloth off of the dining room table. He motioned for me to come in and then pointed towards the front of the room near the fireplace mantle and the TV where I first noticed there was ketchup dripping down the wall and there's a shattered porcelain plate on the floor. The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at the Attorney General's AP interview and had thrown his lunch against the wall, um, which was causing them to have to clean up. So I, I grabbed a towel and started wiping the ketchup off of the wall to help the valet out. Um, and he said something to the effect of, he's really ticked off about this. I, I would stay clear of him for right now. He, he's really, really ticked off about this right now. The President of the United States, fully aware of armed insurgents, insurrectionists, insurrectionists, encouraged the Secret Service to turn off the mag, to so let them near him and the White House, and then wanted to escort these armed insurrectionists himself to the U.S. Capitol. And when he couldn't, he tried to grab the steering wheel of the presidential limousine, the Beast, he choked out a member of his Secret Service detail. And now we hear prior to that, he's throwing the White House China up against the wall. The President of the United States.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, uh, just a few days after she appeared with us last week, the Daily Coast correspondent covering this beat of the January 6th committee, Brandy Buckman, joins us again. Brandy, how are you? How are you? I'm very good today. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I, I knew you'd be very busy, but uh, and we weren't sure we could actually get together scheduling it all but i think even brandy when when she when she saw that and heard that like the rest of us this year we got to talk about this uh was was not cassidy hutchinson's testimony probably some of the most dramatic we've seen i mean i would think so and i think the thing that really stood out to me <clears throat> was just so directly the way that she tied uh, Trump to a lot of these activities on January 6th. You know, um, the the right right now is viciously, you know, attacking her and saying that, oh, it was all hearsay and it was this and it was that. But it's not hearsay if you were the person that was part of that conversation, which is what a lot of her testimony came from in, you know, situations with Mark Meadows, with White House counsel Pat Cipollone and others. And so really, you know, this this has made it very, very difficult, I think, for the former president to sort of uh, escape what might be his fate here, which could potentially be, you know, criminal indictments down the road. We have a lot of issues, including witness tampering that came up today. It it most certainly did. And I want to get into that. But the things that that really seem to stand out, Brandon, well, first of all, let me ask you this. Was this called... Was this kind of referred to as as an emergency? So I don't think that it was referred to necessarily as an emergency hearing as much as it was, you know, it was it was unexpected. It was more impromptu. And they definitely put a lot of weight behind that announcement, saying that, 
it was new evidence that prompted them to hold this hearing before the ones that they had originally scheduled in July. Um, so, you know, I guess we I could we could certainly call it that. Um, but to my understanding, the reason why this meeting sort of came to be the way that it did, and this was according to reporting at the New York Times today or this afternoon, was that, you know, she had essentially put new information forward after she had changed her attorney. Now, her previous attorney was a former White House counsel um, and uh, for Trump. And so now her new attorney uh, is someone who used to represent Jeff Sessions uh, and who also, as we know, had a lot of issues with Trump after he had to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. So it sounds to me like what happened was uh, you know, something changed in the dynamic once she got that different lawyer that perhaps is not as much under Trump's thumb. That's just my speculation. But based on what we saw today, this is why she came forward. And I think that it was very smart of the committee to do that and to get this out and not give uh, too many folks the jump on what she was going to say today and distort it because it was just so powerful and significant. Yeah. And, and so, hence, I guess it couldn't even wait until right. after the holiday, huh? Mm-hmm. And there had been reports out for quite some time that, you know, she was going to testify in person uh, as the hearing was first shaping up. And none of that had been confirmed, but that was all the anonymous sourcing. And then it seemed like maybe her in-person testimony had fallen apart uh, at some point. But, you know, she testified four times in private. And it was that last time with her new attorney that prompted this new hearing. And hasn't she been the victim of threats herself? Yeah, there was a lot of high security for her today because of all the pressure and security threats that have been heaped on her, which, as we know, and like what we saw in our last hearing, uh, you know, this is pretty much par for the course for anyone who comes forward and speaks up against Trump or if Trump has their attention, you know, laser focused on them like he did with the election worker uh, Shane Moss down in Georgia. Now, there were two highlights I think that were most damning mm -hmm. um, all of it was damning Brandy yeah. but first of all sure. my god he knew people were armed yeah and instructed the secret service to turn off or, or decline ignore the magnetometers and mm -hmm. said and they, they tried to tell him but these people have guns they're not here to hurt me they can march up to the Capitol. I'm the effing president. Mm -hmm. Turn the magnetometers off. I'm paraphrasing. Right. I, I mean, that was the first thing. And, and then, it, 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 folks, later on when mm -hmm. it came up about him trying to uh, <laughs> grab the steering wheel and choke out his security detail, I mean, that almost made the magnetometer seem <laughs> like, like, I don't even know where to... Where, right. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I mean... It's just it tells you just sort of how desperate uh, that that situation was. And a lot of what I had been hearing from, um, you know, anonymous sources and the run up to these hearings had confirmed a lot of what we heard today. You know, Daily Coast has a very strict rule about how we report with anonymous sources and we don't do it. We try to get everything on the record. Uh, and so when I heard that piece of information today come out about, you know, him trying to wrest the steering wheel, uh, steering wheel away, you know, this is stuff that I had heard for quite some time wow. um, from multiple people. So, you know, I couldn't get anyone to go on the record with me. 
uh, prior to that, but it was really affirming to hear that today. And me personally, someone who's following it so closely, I think that it made it uh, just all the more real what we're really facing here and sort of verified for me uh, the pieces that I've been able to put together in my reporting. So you you had heard that before about the steering wheel. Had you heard about the, yeah. him being aware of the arms and the magnetometers as well? That was new to me. Um, you know, I had known that there were weapons, obviously, at the rally. A lot of the court cases have showed um, information about that, and the DOJ has been, you know, meticulous about listing off all the things that folks carried with them. But I was not aware until today myself uh, that Trump had been made aware, or was at least supposed to have been made aware anyway, that these, uh, you know, folks were armed. Meadows didn't really take that information to him, uh, it seemed, with much urgency until, you know, it finally got to him. And then when it did get to him, you know, his alleged response was, as you said, you know, he didn't care if people had these effing weapons. He wanted them to be let in. And part of the reason that Hutchinson said today that he wanted them to be let in through these security checkpoints, weapons or not, was because he wanted the optics. You know, he wanted it to look like there were more people there than there were. He wanted, you know, that great picture. And if we remember from during the Floyd protests, you know, he's he's a big fan of optics like that. We can remember from the first inauguration, crowd size has always been huge for him. And so while it's easy to sort of, I think, maybe even joke about that or think about that in a, in a light sort of way, I think when you really look at it, it's pretty stark. And it tells you how singularly focused uh, he he was on retaining power that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 not to make light at all, very seriously, there always is a correlation. Right. I'm 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 a, I'm, a, I'm one of the male species. We're in denial about this a lot, but there's a correlation. We know about him and his crowd size, right? His hand size. Yes. You know, it, yeah, yeah. All of that, folks, <laughs> clinically, kind of goes together. Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, but, but she, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson kind of uh, acquitted a lot of people around him because it seems like everybody around was saying, dude, uh, no, you don't need to do this. Um, and, and do away with the magnetometers. You don't need to go up on the hill. She reported on a lot of pushback, uh, from people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cipollone knew, and this was a really big piece today, uh, Cipollone knew that if Trump were to go up to the Capitol like he wanted to do, it would open them up to potentially, you know, huge criminal liability. And he was being told, you know, you can't do this. And it seemed to be that Meadows was sort of trying to play it down the middle with Trump and was Meadows was being told, according to Hutchinson, you know, this cannot happen. Uh, Secret Service doesn't have the assets to do it. And this this just cannot be allowed to play out. And, uh, you know, that information didn't really seem to make it to Trump, according to her account of things, because when he got into that car uh, into the limousine, he was still apparently under the impression that he was going to go and was told uh, that, you know, Bobby Engel, the head of his security detail, would have more information for him. So I think that, you know, there's still more information to be had about exactly what was happening in those moments. But from what we piece together today, I mean, the lion's share of it, 
you know, just shows us uh, how desperate he was, how out of touch or out of out of the loop he was with people that had credible information and that were coming to him credibly and warning him. You know, this was not something that we could do legally, and it's not something that we would recommend you do for national security purposes. But he was uh, very adamant, and it was really, I think, a good thing that uh, Bobby Angle did not did not allow him to go into the Capitol because God only knows what would have happened at that point. Not to mention to show just how insane this all is. He obviously wasn't concerned about his own safety. If you're going to say you know mm-hmm. people are armed. And don't wand them. Let them come into this area mm-hmm. uh, on the ellipse and elsewhere. Who Who's to say one of those people might not have been someone else who was deranged and shot him? I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, for him not to even consider his own safety. So now here, here's a million dollar question, though. In the beast, mm-hmm. the, the president normally rides in the back of the vehicle, not mm-hmm. in the front. So are, are we to uh, infer that he jumped, leaped forward in the vehicle to grab the steering wheel, even though he was in the back? I think, uh, you know, I saw a brief video of this today, uh, and it wasn't super clear because it was done at a distance, and it was of the beast leaving the speech. And it looked like he was in a situation where, and this is, again, this is my speculation, but it looked like he was in a situation where he was, Sitting not in like the front seat, but might have been sitting in a seat just behind one of the front seats and had the access to actually reach through. But, you know, that's that's as far as I can be as I'm able to tell from what happened inside of that uh, inside of that limousine. One of the things, though, that was not really clear today and what I'm interested to learn more about that is sort of related to this and in terms of like what you were saying, you know, this level of trust that he had that he wouldn't be hurt. And we could argue that that might just be ego. But, um, you know, this involvement with extremists like the Oath Keepers, um, you know, there's some questions about phone calls that Hutchinson did not hear what was going on, but had heard words like Oath Keepers being thrown around. Um, We know that there was a conversation that Trump had with Roger Stone and with Michael Flynn, who we also saw some really shocking uh, video deposition of today, and he didn't even need to say much. It was just the fact of what it was. We don't know what was talked about. We do know that the Oath Keepers provided personal security to Roger Stone. We do know that one of the Oath Keepers that provided him personal security was also photographed at the Capitol on the 6th. So I think that we're starting to put things a little bit closer together about the level of involvement or awareness that perhaps the president had with members of these extremist groups. Um, so that's that's very interesting to me for certain. And he was obviously then willing to put more faith in those extremist groups than his own secret service detail right right i mean that's that's uh seems to be very possible here you know and the fact that you had somebody like michael flynn who we know has really kind of given himself completely over to the QAnon conspiracy cult um you know this is a retired three-star general doing a deposition for a congressional committee where he has invoked his Fifth Amendment right to every single question asked of him, including a question that you would think would be very simple. Cheney asking him, you know, among many other things, is it morally acceptable 
to use violence in in this situation. And he succinctly replied to her, fifth. (laughs) This is the the stuff that really makes you think, um, you know, the, the lack the lack of talking about this, the the la- the the complete um, lack of willingness by people in the Republican Party in Congress, elected representatives, to do anything that would even remotely put accountability forward for not just Americans but the people who protected them on that day. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they don't even have respect for that. It would seem, um, and it's 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 uh, it's real hard to see. But I hope that with all this information that came out today, this is the stuff that makes it more real and makes people take it more seriously because this is it. You know, this is the key information that we all need to understand and to see, to really get what happened on January 6th. Um, Brand, I I, I don't want to leave this steering wheel just yet. In, in the movies, when usually when people grab the steering wheel who are passengers, (laughs) but especially when in the back, the, the right. car usually goes out of control and crashes. I mean, I've never that, that I've never seen that work out well. So <laughs> again, I'm like, what is going on here? That is so crazy. Yeah. And, and, and what would have happened if he had gotten control of the steering wheel and the the, the driver lost control? Uh, and I guess there's no real protocol of of what to do with someone the secret service is protecting uh putting them in harm's way is there yeah i mean look he would ride around with people at the height of the covid19 pandemic in cars without a mask on and if i remember the reports correctly he certainly got members of his of his detail sick you know this is a person who doesn't really care in my opinion and i know it's not popular for reporters to give that but my opinion is based on the facts before me and the facts before me are that this person doesn't really care very much about what happens to anyone beside himself. And he had yeah. no business uh, trying to, you know, wrestle away a steering wheel from somebody just for the fact that he could have, you know, harmed people in that car, people around him and whatever it might have been. But, you know, it just it all paints the picture. I think that any of us who've been paying attention have sort of been seeing here for a while this was a person that was singularly focused on overturning the results of the election and up until the very last minute was interested in doing whatever he could to see that to see that met. Brandy, I don't even think it's fair to yourself to say that's an opinion. I mean, that's an objective ruling, the lack of mm-hmm. care. Um, you may recall a, a, a colleague of, our, of ours who recently passed away tragically, Eric Bollard. Yeah. Er, Eric would criticize the mainstream media when they would have headlines that read um, Trump seemingly racist or did something. And he said after a point, you can't say that anymore. You have to right. call it was is racist. Uh, right. <laughs> and in this right. case, um, he doesn't care. Negligence, yeah. uh, 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 almost to the to the to the level of, of criminally negligent. Now, now, what you've done, though, here for us is kind of give us an idea of the timeliness of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. So mm-hmm. do do you do we know who's coming next? I mean if 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 from what you're saying it sounds as if this testimony had to had to go right in because it may be impactful to subsequent ter- testimony. So do we know who who might be next? You know, I'm not sure who the next witnesses will be, but I know that we're going to be getting into 
more of the violence that unfolded on that day in the next hearing, the extremist elements that were involved, which we really just sort of brushed up on uh, during, I think it was the first or second hearing. We're going to get more into that um, in these coming hearings. And so I, I really don't know who they will have come forward. You know, I, I, I don't have my hopes set very high that it would be somebody who is currently involved with the DOJ investigation into these groups, like, say, a person who might have flipped from the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers. They think that we're not going to see something like that. And I could be mistaken. But I think that it will be really interesting to hear, uh, you know, whomever they bring forward that can sort of shine a light on you know, just the intensity of, of that moment and of the time that he was really idle. Now, we learned a lot about that today from Hutchinson um, and just how essentially despondent Trump was from from doing anything or from accepting the fact that he had lost the election. Um, but, you know, time will tell here. And I think that whatever they come up with next, especially if they're not going to do several many more hearings after what is supposed to be at least two more uh, you know, they're going to have to be real blockbuster hearings, and it's going to be hard to top that. But something tells me that they're going to have no problem doing it. They've been topping yeah. themselves every hearing that has happened. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's really smart the way that they've done this. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. I, I, I imagine that they probably have some others uh, to come forward that will be impactful. Do you know how she hooked up Cassidy Hutchinson with? Jeff Sessions legal representation. Do we know the inside baseball on that? You know, I do not know that. I do not know that. But I know that the folks over at Politico seem to have a really good handle on those, uh, you know, like the inner workings of representation. And they, they do an excellent job reporting on that. So I'd keep an eye out on that. And if, certainly if I hear anything, I'll re report it. But right now, I don't have too much detail on that. Lastly, you alluded to some of the messages that have been sent to witnesses that Liz Cheney highlighted in her closing argument. Uh, that's, I mean, it sounds like these people, I mean, we know they aren't mafia, but they think they are. Right. They're, they're yeah. playing. It's like cosplay. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it would seem so. And, you know, when you look at some of the statements that were given to the committee, um, when they ask their witnesses, you know, have you been contacted by anyone attempting to influence your testimony? And, you know, the it was funny today. One of the excerpts was uh, they didn't want to identify the witnesses. They didn't want to identify a lot of people as they presented this to protect folks. But it was, quote unquote, a person that had let this witness know that their deposition was tomorrow. And I got big flashbacks to uh, the individual number one listing that Trump was given in previous lawsuits. And it's, you know, fairly clear who they're referring to, I would say. But, you know, Trump was telling people or people in Trump's camp, whoever it might have been, but it seems like the former president was telling people that he was thinking about them. He, quote, knows that they're loyal and they're going to do the right thing, end quote. Uh, you know, and this just went on and on. And, you know, you're going to be a team player, end quote. I know you're going to protect Trump, end quote, to stay in his good graces, end quote. I mean, it's like you literally cannot make it up how evident and obvious the behavior was to try and get these witnesses coming before the committee 
to either you know keep their mouth shut about right. certain things right. or do their testimony. So the messages, folks, just quickly read. What they said to me is, as long as I continue to be a team player, this was sent to a witness. This is a witness describing what was sent to, to, to mm -hmm. her or him. They know that I'm on the team. I'm doing the right thing. I'm protecting who I need to protect. You know, I'll continue to stay in good graces in Trump world. And they have reminded me a couple of times that Trump does read transcripts. And just to keep that in mind as I proceeded through my depositions and interviews with the committee. Yeah. Here's, yeah. here's another message. A person let me know you have your deposition tomorrow. He wants me to let you know that he's thinking about you. He knows you're loyal and you're going to do the right thing when you go in for your deposition. And then also, just one other small thing. Uh, it was not small, but in, in the, in the uh, chronology of events, he's throwing White House chat up against the wall, breaking it up when he gets back to the White House. Right. This was when he uh, heard that Barr made his announcement on December 1st that he found no fraud in the election. And Hutchinson testified that, uh, you know, she had basically peeked through the door to the White House dining room and was waved in and was watching as a valet was, you know, rearranging tablecloth. And she saw that there was ketchup splattered all over the wall and that a saucer had been shattered on the floor by his feet. And he was irate. Because Barr had said, look, we have found no evidence of widespread fraud in this election that would alter the outcome. And I think that, you know, again, it's like one of those things. It's it's easy to get lost in the sort of like fantastical nature that, you know, you don't hear about things like this. And it's a colorful detail. You know, the president has thrown ketchup up against the wall. But what that really tells us is that Trump knew he was aware he there was a presence and awareness of mind at some point down the line that his attorney general, that credible people in his administration absolutely did not believe that there was fraud in the election. And that was communicated to him privately and publicly. Brandy Buckman, folks, uh, please follow her work and her reporting at DailyCoast.com every day. She's on the beat for this. Um, very courageous for this young woman, 25 years old, uh, yeah, to, to come really forward courageous. in this. Yeah, very courageous. And um, um, we will see what comes of it. It's on the record now. And as as Brand alluded to, it, it, it'd be hard to top this. So the committee must know. Because in full disclosure, it, it's no secret. The committee has Hollywood television producers, right, who are kind of advising them on on presentation which you know democrats aren't always very good at that so i commend them for doing so so i don't think you know you you don't bring the climax in the middle of it you build up toward it so there must be some other stuff that the hutchinson testimony is going to prompt down the road so yeah and you know i just want to add to that if i can really shortly i think that you know, regardless of who might be helping them craft the best way to sort of present all of this really complicated information. Um, look, the timeline itself, you know, we were all heading on a crash course for the insurrection at the Capitol, some of us more aware of it than others. And it was building naturally and organically. And I, I remember that time period very distinctly. And I remember, you know, having discussions with my family and friends about the concerns I had for my safety and the safety of other people's going uh, other people going into that because so much of it had been steadily building and so much of it he had openly declared 
Um, and so, you know, they are doing a great job in telling the story, but the story tells itself, you know, it's a, it's a natural, it's yeah, a natural yeah. progression of events. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and one other thing about it, ladies and gentlemen, Cassidy Hutchinson gave us yet another glimpse into the mentality and the temperament of mm -hmm. a president who appointed a Supreme Court majority that just reversed Roe. Mm -hmm. And and people need to understand that. So this is this is these are the qualifications of someone who made those appointments. And obviously we know that those Supreme Court appointments are and were lacking and and this is this is the person with that temperament that was making those decisions that now uh, affect everyone um, with the road decision, the Miranda decision, the uh, uh, the gun decision. So mm -hmm. uh, I I think that too, Brandy, and I know that's those aren't things, topics or issues you you necessarily are primary for your coverage right now, but I think also this is useful because people need to understand that. This is the person who did that. And this has a lot to do with the with the other issues, the collateral issues um, right. that we're facing. And people have a great deal of anxiety and, mm -hmm. and trauma about just from the end of last week. So um, um, we're, we're all not. It, sometimes, folks, it helps when we know all of us aren't crazy. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Brandy. We aren't the ones. Totally agree with that. <laughs> that, that. That are that are crazy. So just just folks, keep that in mind. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we um, uh, appreciate, Brand. as always, we appreciate your reporting, your work, and the time you spend with us, okay? Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me on, and I look forward to chatting again sometime. Follow her on Twitter. Follow her on Daily Coast, folks. Brandy Buckman. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. 
And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.